and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Our staff just wanted to let all of our listeners know to be safe and stay healthy. This coronavirus news is very scary, so we have a bigger excuse than usual to stay inside and sew. We don't want any one of you getting sick. So, on today's show, our staff is sharing the best sewing advice they've ever received. It's so fun to hear the advice that really changed all of our sewing lives for the better. Then, we chat about tips for sewing triangles and for binding your quilts, and share behind the scenes of some photo shoots we'd had in the famous Better Homes and Gardens test gardens. We end the episode with a Q&A with the mother-daughter design team, Sherry McConnell and Chelsea Stratton. So let's dive in. As quilters, we've probably all received a piece of advice that has changed how we approach our quilting. Quilters all learn from each other and are such creative people, so listening to a friend's product recommendation or a teacher's trick can truly be eye-opening. There are generations of knowledge just waiting to be passed down and received, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a complicated technique. Sometimes the simple things can really make the biggest difference. Our staff wanted to share some of the best advice they've ever received, and we hope it inspires you to share your knowledge and experience with others too. When I first started quilting, I used to cut one layer of fabric at a time. Even if I had hundreds of the same size pieces to cut, I would work one piece of fabric and one layer at a time, and it took me forever to cut things. Once, while working on a project, my coworker Jill told me to stack a few pieces of fabric and cut everything at once. It was a game changer. Nowhere in the project instructions did it tell me I could use this time-saving tip. No one told me when I was learning or watching YouTube videos that you can cut multiple pieces at once. This simple tip opened up a wider world to me one where I never followed only the written words in a pattern, but one where time-saving techniques and tools were available to help me. There are rulers that make cutting things easier. You can chain piece instead of clipping threads between each unit. You can make your flying geese a different method than suggested because it's your favorite way to do it. It really helped me see that the pattern gives me the basic instructions, but I can tweak the ways I get to the end product to work for my skills and my sewing life, and that advice was truly a gift. I'm Allison, the designer of Quilts and More, and I'm here to share my best sewing advice. When I first started quilting, I had no idea about the importance of straight of grain. When I bought fabric off the bolt, I took it home and just started cutting based on where the fabric was folded on the bolt. Some of my width of fabric strips ended up having a bit of a bend in the middle where the fabric was folded. I thought this was just something that every quilter had to work around. That's when luckily I got some great advice from a fellow quilter that I use every time I sit down to cut my fabric. 
When I buy yardage off of a bolt and am ready to cut, I unfold it and iron the entire piece of fabric, making sure to get rid of the fold that was created when the fabric was wrapped on the bolt. I then refold the fabric, making sure to align the selvages. By looking at the drape of the fabric and the fold while holding the selvages together, I can see if the fabrics are folded perfectly straight of grain. Sometimes I need to shift one half of the fabric one way or another in order to get rid of that little twist in the fabric. Once I create the new fold, I can use that to start cutting with the fabric strips, and this eliminates the worry about getting that bend in the middle. This advice has saved me so much headache, especially when working with long pieces such as sashing, borders, and binding. I'm Doris Brunette, editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine, and the best sewing advice uh, was actually something I recently came across, um, and it's from one of our videos on allpeoplequilt.com. Uh, regarding piecing uh, backs for large quilts. So when piecing a large quilt back, using a serger can save time because you can cut the selvage and sew the long seam simultaneously with your serger. It was a total game changer for me. <laughs> Something, it was one of those just aha moments. So that's fine. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Stumbo, Art Director for American Patchwork and Quilting, and I always end up falling in love with foundation paper piecing patterns. There's something about the precision and complexity that you can achieve with foundation paper piecing that really appeals to my perfectionist personality. However, the method can seem tricky and confusing if you've never tried it before. There is a lot of back and forth flipping of paper and fabrics, and after each seam, you need to stop to trim and press. It can just be a lot to keep track of. Well, after I made one too many trimming mistakes when I was at a quilt retreat, a coworker let me borrow her at a quarter inch ruler. She was also working on a foundation paper piecing project at the time and kept talking about how it was such a useful tool to help you quickly and accurately trim off the excess fabric. The ruler has a lip on one side that automatically adds a quarter inch seam allowance that you can run your rotary cutter alongside to trim away the excess fabric. Now, I'm not much of a gadget girl, but after borrowing her ruler, I promptly purchased one of my own from the quilt shop where we were having our retreat. Now, I can't imagine making a foundation paper piecing project without this ruler, and I am so grateful that she introduced me to this must-have tool. Hi, I'm Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts More magazine. As editor, I get to hear a lot of really great quilting tips. Most of them are pretty technical. I even get the opportunity to share a lot of those tips with you in the Back to Basics segment of this podcast. But the very best quilting advice I ever received wasn't really technical at all. See, I have a bit of a perfectionist streak, and I'm often very hard on myself. I'm the type of person where if someone compliments my work, or me, I feel compelled to point out all the flaws. When I was first learning how to quilt, my quilting mentor advised me that done is better than perfect and that I needed to change my perspective. She lived her own advice too. For example, she used the wrong red in a project, but to the person who pointed it out, she said, oh yes, I chose that different red on purpose. Isn't it beautiful? It makes my quilt my very own. I'm paraphrasing of course, but I just love her attitude. I admit I'm still not good at letting those little things go, but I sure am happier when I manage to do it, and quilting should make you happy. 
Hello, this is Jody Sanders, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine. And I want to share with you today, I think, what's the best tip, quilting tip that I've ever received. And it seems kind of simplistic, but it's to sew an accurate quarter-inch seam allowance. It may not seem like it's that Um, earth-shattering, but when I look back over the years and the quilts that I've made, when I'm really paying attention to that quarter-inch seam allowance, my quilts come out a lot better. And my machine itself, actually the default when I turned it on, when I turn it on, is for a 5 eighths inch seam and I got a quarter inch foot a few years ago and I've been using that and it really has made a big difference in the accuracy of the blocks and the workmanship in my quilts. So I would say as much as possible try and practice sewing an accurate quarter inch seam allowance. We loved sharing all of our best sewing advice we've received but we would also love to hear yours. If you'd like to share, shoot us an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm here with Joanna for Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or technique. So what are we learning today, Joanna? So one of my current UFO or unfinished projects involves sewing triangles. As many quilters who have sewn triangles together can attest to, Triangles are tricky. What makes them more complicated than squares and rectangles is their bias edges. Bias edges have more stretch and it's very easy to warp triangle pieces out of shape as you sew them. Today, I'm sharing three of my favorite tips for sewing together triangles. First, press, don't iron. I know this holds true for all piecing, but it's especially important with bias edges. If you tug on them, by ironing across the fabric, they will permanently warp. It is better to gently press by lifting the iron, moving it over, and then pressing it down again. Steam can also warp bias edges, so you'll have a much easier time controlling their stretch if you use starch instead. If the fabric you are using for the triangles is extra stretchy, you might even want to consider adding a lightweight or featherweight fusible interfacing to the back of your fabric. That way, you'll have just a little bit more stability on that fabric. Second, try not to handle the piece as much after you've cut them. Cut-out fabric triangles are surprisingly fragile. I've seen some quilters even transport them from place to place using a tea tray to keep the amount of times that they have to handle the pieces to a minimum. Again, the goal here is to avoid tugging on those bias edges because they stretch so easily. Third, use lots of pins. The more pins, the better. I feel like I say that a lot, actually, but it's, it's so true. Pinning helps a lot. Those pins will keep the fabric and the bias edges from wobbling around and stretching as you sew, and you're not gonna regret using more pins than you think you need. And then finally, the points of the triangles can get pulled down into your feed dogs of your sewing machine if you aren't careful. So plan your seams carefully. You can usually find a spot to start stitching that isn't a point, such as the 90 degree angle of a right triangle. If you start sewing there, you won't have the point of your triangle fall down into your machine. Using a scrap of leader fabric before you start sewing will also help you keep your points and bias edges intact and unstretched. Thanks, Joanna. Next is Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best quilting advice to common quilting struggles. This week, we're sharing tips for binding. Everything from prepping it to putting it on a quilt to storing it. 
This first tip is from Elsley Scriber of Seneca, Missouri. She says, when I finish a quilt top, I cut the binding and store it on a wooden paper towel holder until I'm ready to finish the quilt. The binding easily unrolls from the towel holder and doesn't get tangled under my feet. A standard towel holder can store bindings for at least eight quilts. Kathy Coots of Toledo, Ohio says, I save all my leftover binding pieces. To finish a scrappy quilt, I often piece the leftover scraps together to make a binding that fits the eclectic look of the quilt. Barbara Pringle of Amherst, New Hampshire says, Whenever I am making a quilted gift, I cut extra binding strips. I fold the strips in half lengthwise, turn the raw edges in toward each other, and top stitch along the edges to make ties for wrapping the gift. The ties give a hint of what's inside. I do this very same thing every time I give a quilt. I roll it up and wrap it with my leftover binding strips and a little bow. It's so cute. Cindy Burke of McPherson, Kansas says, When I cut the pieces for a quilt, I completely prepare the binding strip for the project, roll it up, and store it until I finish the top. This way, I don't finish the quilt months later to find that I accidentally used my binding fabric for another project. It's always a bonus to find the binding ready to be sewn when the quilt is finished. Donna Jones of El Dorado Hills, California says, After I cut an iron binding, I roll it on an empty toilet paper roll. When I'm ready to use the binding, I slip the roll onto my cone thread holder and start sewing. It keeps me from dragging binding all over the floor. I've done that very same thing. So these are just some great tips. We love hearing these ideas from our readers. So if you're interested in submitting your own tip for feature on the podcast or in our magazine, send an email of your tip to apqtips at meredith.com. I'm back with Elizabeth now for Behind the Scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the office. And uh, Elizabeth is sharing some fun photography things with us today. That's right. So here at American Patchwork and Quilting, we are so lucky to be part of the Better Homes and Gardens family of magazines and to be located right here in Des Moines at our headquarters. So here in Des Moines, we have access to some amazing photography facilities um, where we photograph a lot of our quilts here where we actually build sets. And um, and if we're not shooting in our studios, we'll find locations and homes um, here in the, the Midwest. But we also have access to the famous Better Homes and Gardens Test Garden. And this test garden serves as a display garden a testing ground for plants, and it is also a beautiful background for outdoor photography that we get to utilize. Um, so whenever I have the chance, I love to plan some of our, especially our spring and summer um, issues to do some of the photography out there in the garden space. So it's truly an, o- an oasis in the center of downtown Des Moines. It's literally right outside of our office doors. We can even go out there and enjoy lunch um, when it's <laughs> nice out and have meetings out there. So we're so blessed to have this space. And within the walls of the test garden, there are constantly rotating the flower beds. Um, Sandra Gerdes is the test garden manager, and she does such an incredible job just picking out things so things are always blooming and being in season and creating this beautiful background. So 
There's um, in addition to the flower beds, there's pergolas with some casual seating, a water lily pond, which is one of my favorite places. It's so peaceful. And then there's also a shade garden for a home to beautiful hostas and ferns, and then also a thriving vegetable garden. So right in the very center of the garden is a beautiful fountain surrounded by tables and blossoming trees, which is so beautiful. And I love to take advantage of this setting to photograph um, our projects. And we actually were able to photograph three projects from our April issue of American Patchwork and Quilting in the garden. So I thought I could talk a little bit about those spaces. Yeah, exactly. And maybe tell people like when you're, we work so far ahead for magazines. So when we're shooting things for our spring issues in the garden, that took some advanced planning, right? That's right. So for our April issue, we were actually photographing these quilts like late summer, very early fall. So I had to be a little strategic about the areas of the garden where we photograph so you weren't seeing a lot of fall foliage. And <laughs> um, it makes it a little tricky to be working that far in advance. But just another reason we are so grateful to have that space for us. Um, so one of the quilts from the issue is Izzy's Garden by Lisa Alexander, and it's a beautiful, large hexagon quilt that uses flower garden um, collection from Lindsay McCray for Moda Fabrics. And this fabric was inspired by vintage flower sacks, and um, I just think like they have a beautiful um, shed in the garden, and this created a wonderful background for this quilt to be draped over the door of the shed. So I love the texture that shed created and all the plants around it. So. That was a really fun area to shoot in. Um, next, we also photographed a quilt by Monique Japer, Jacobs, excuse me, Monique Jacobs, um, called Batik Lattice. And this features Monique's coastal getaway batiks for Maywood Studio. And this is just a beautiful batik quilt. And we chose to photograph this quilt on a bench that we actually brought in. So we bring in our own props often. And we styled it on one of the grassy knolls near the shade garden. Um, and we weren't allowed to cut any of the flowers in the garden because they're, <laughs> you know, beautiful and for show and everyone needs to enjoy them. So we brought in our own hydrangeas and styled those there. Um, and they just perfectly matched the blues and the purples found in this quilt. Yeah, the the batiks, the blues and the purples really stand against the like green background of the grass and the hydrangeas look beautiful. Yes, I love that shot. So, and then last but not least, we photographed a small wool project called The Birds and the Bee by Kim Schaefer. And this small wall quilt features bright blooms, kissing birds, a butterfly, and a bee. So it was right at home in the test garden. <laughs> it was the perfect setting you for it. You had to shoot that I one I just outside. had to. <laughs> um, so we found the perfect spot for it on the fence surrounding the vegetable garden. And there were even some real-life bees flying around <laughs> that day. So they weren't just contained to the quilt. <laughs> and... You know, the best news about this is that the test garden is actually open to the public. So if you happen to be in the Des Moines area, feel free to stop by. It is open on Fridays from noon to 2 p.m. And it is open starting the first Friday in May through the first Friday in October. Thank you so much. And we'll link to these quilts in the show notes so that you can take a look. They're so beautiful. And I think a lot of people will be just surprised that we actually shoot some of these quilts outside. Right. Like, right, and right downtown, right? surrounded by, you know, <laughs> buildings, buildings and corporate, <laughs> yeah, corporate spaces. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More, chats with Sherry McConnell and Chelsea Stratton, a fabric design team that has their 10th fabric line with Moda Fabrics coming to stores in September. 
Just a note, at the time of this interview, their ninth collection had just come out and the Astros were in the World Series. So you'll hear us reference that. <laughs> so both Sherry and Chelsea are incredibly talented quilters and pattern designers. If you're on social media at all, we're sure you recognize their gorgeous and popular designs. Sherry is also a well-known blogger and author who shares all of her favorite tips, tutorials, and knowledge which, with her large fan base. In this interview, they share about their process of designing fabric, how it feels to have a quilting business with your family, tips for making more time to sew with a busy schedule, and where their inspiration comes from. Enjoy! Hi, I'm here with Sherry McConnell and Chelsea Stratton, the designers behind Sherry and Chelsea Fabrics for Moda Fabrics. And I'm so glad you guys could join us today. My first question for you, I'm going to start with you, Sherry, is give us a little background about your life as a quilter. Okay, so I started sewing when I was a little girl. My mom gave me a sewing machine when I turned 10, and I did a lot of simple um clothing, sewing, all through high school and, and into college. And my grandmother had started quilting. And I was never going to be a quilter. But one day after asking her to make a quilt and her saying no, and that led to me becoming a quilter because she said, I will teach you how to quilt. And so I made my first quilt with my grandmother and just kept quilting after that. Smart grandmother, she know how to get you into it. <laughs> yes, I am grateful that she said no. How about you, Chelsea? So my mom actually introduced quilting to me when I was much younger, about 11 or 12, and I did not particularly enjoy it at the time. But after I had my second daughter and after I had started designing fabric, I decided to start quilting. And I called my mom very often to get tips and tricks. And after that, I was just hooked. I continued to quilt after that, and it was just something so much fun that I could do at home while still raising my kids. So your latest line is Summer Sweet. Um, how many lines now has it been? So Summer Sweet is our ninth collection with Moda Fabrics. That's amazing. So after nine collections, what's your favorite part about designing fabrics, and how do you stay inspired? Um, I think my favorite part is, is having Chelsea call me and say, hey, I've got some stuff to, for you to look at. And so I just get so excited with anticipation to see what she's been drawing. And um, I guess my favorite part is really, other than seeing um, what she's drawn for the first time, is when we start talking about what colors we're going to use. That, that just really gets me excited. How about you, Chelsea? I think for me there is... Um, a part of myself that wants to create something and share that with the world and so I love looking to nature and looking you know all these different places to to find inspiration for that and it's almost it's a piece of me that I I want to give back to the world and so I love um, creating fabrics and yeah it's so much fun. I love that. So Sherry, you mentioned color. What are your favorite color palettes and how do you go about choosing color combinations? I love blues. I guess I've always, that's always been the palette that I um, go to from aquas to navies and everything in between. And as far as choosing a color palette, 
um, I do like to step out of the box. I do like almost every color. And so sometimes I'll just think, oh, I haven't sewn with this color for a while and and start with that and, and look for coordinating prints. My mom and I always joke around because I, on the other hand, love pinks and reds. And so, but luckily those colorways go very well together. And I, I think we just both sit down and we give each other ideas and we really come up with something beautiful each time that's different and fun and fresh. May I just say I love how the two of you work together. Um, how has designing fabric brought you closer together as mother and daughter? This is such a great question. I guess I had never really thought about it, but um, when you first asked me, I started thinking it's just as a mother, it's just been amazing to see my daughter grow, uh, not only creatively, but also as a businesswoman and to be able to talk to her about every aspect of our of our jobs, um, which are also both our passions, mm-hmm. has just um, really deepened our friendship as adult women. I've always been incredibly incredibly inspired by my mom. She's a wonderful businesswoman, and I learn a lot from her, and I watch her and all the things that she does. I really think it's brought us closer together. We aside from the part that we now work more closely together, but it's just also solidified that bond, which has been wonderful. Oh, that's great. So I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute. Well, if you guys disagree, who usually wins the argument? Oh, that's is a good question, <laughs> too, because um, we have actually, when we're going through strike-offs, we have made compromises, like, oh, you really want that print? Okay, then you have to let me keep this print. And we have literally done that several times. I would definitely have to agree with her answer. We are great at compromise, and it's a huge give or take, even though we may not love, completely love the end result, but we always work it out every time. Well, and compromise is so important. So, All right, time for some rapid-fire questions. So number one, what are your favorite quilt blocks? I think star, anything with a star is my favorite quilt block. I 100% have to agree. I'm a star block person. I say, me three. (laughs) Um, Number two, what are your current obsessions? So I like listening to time management podcasts because I'm always looking to make more time for quilting. And also, I'm kind of obsessed with organizing for the same reason. I just want more time to quilt. Right now, for me, it's baseball because my team is in the World Series. Go Astros. I was saying, who's your team? So. <laughs> um, all right, number three, what is your must-have sewing product? So I think that when I'm making small flying geese, I have to have a block lock for the flying geese. I love that for the little ones. I also really like my sew line pencil and my Kai scissors. So this is so easy for me because I have a new favorite product and it is washi tape that was developed by Allison of Cluck Cluck. So it is fantastic and it is my favorite thing right now that I use. All great choices. And the last one is what color shows up in your quilts the most? So blue. Any shade. (laughs) Definitely. Reds and pinks, a thousand percent. 
So Sherry, you mentioned um, trying to work on organization and time management. I hear from many quilters that it can be a struggle to find time to sew. As a busy mom, um, how do you find time for sewing? Or just as a businesswoman, how do you find time for sewing? And what advice would you give to others for making time to sew? So, yeah, I, I just love to sew something every single day. One of the things I try to do is to leave something either right next to the sewing machine that's ready to be sewn or something that's ready to be cut out or um, maybe even just another part of the process. Just have something ready to go so that if I even just have a few minutes, I can go in there and do something and feel like I got in my sewing room today. So having um, three kids at home, that has been my biggest thing is when do I find the time to to sew and to keep on top of things and just kind of like my mom I also I always cut a project out one day but I'll cut out maybe two projects and then I sew the next day that's how I'm able to keep myself organized and still raise my kids and be a mom that's great so um kind of on that track another thing we frequently hear is how do you store all of your fabric so it ties in with that time management and keeping track of your projects so what are some of your favorite ways to store and keep track of what you're working on especially if you're doing multiple projects at once yeah i love um baskets and bins for my projects and for my fabric and i do i try to keep things contained um if I, if I know I'm going to be working on it over an extended period of time, I'll try to keep it at least in the same container. I also have a drawer system that I keep projects in, and it has kind of the mesh sides, so it, the air circulates, and I have those drawers kind of in order of the most important thing to finish first and switch them out. Oh, that's a great tip. How about you, Chelsea? I love to organize my scraps by color. I feel like then when I'm working on a project, I can go directly to what I need. And I also use a drawer system and I keep specific projects I'm working on in separate bins as well. Again, great storage tips. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I loved Joanna's chat with Sherry and Chelsea. They're honestly the cutest. And watch for the October issue of American Patchwork and Quilting, which will feature designs from both of them. We'll link to their websites, fabric, and social media in our show notes so that you can connect with them more. Hi all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.